0: Welcome to Israel from the inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to DanielGordis.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. In addition to everything taking place in the world, which we are all watching with great interest and great sorrow, this was also a very difficult week in Israel because of a terror attack in the South, centered in 'er Beersheba, that took the lives of four innocent Israelis, left 10 children, orphans, and injured others. The issue of an attack in the Negev is actually a much more complicated thing than simply a quote-unquote simple terrorist attack, and if you follow the Israeli news, What you might have seen was that when the police chief, the head of the police came to the area a short while later, instead of people greeting the security forces as people who were essentially their supporters on their side, the people to whom they turn for uh, safety and so forth, the people were furious with the police forces and actually he had to be kind of hustled out of the area. And the reason for that is is because the issue of uh, violence directed at Jewish Israelis by Arabs Bedwins sometimes, non bedwinds at other times, inside the state of Israel, is a huge issue that gets some attention in Israel, virtually no attention outside of Israel. And to understand a distinct part of what's unfolding in Israeli society, it's really critically important to understand that dynamic. And this week, given the horrible events that took place, seemed like the right moment to introduce it to our community of listeners and readers and thinkers and so forth. And in order to do that, uh, I turn to an old friend and someone whose work I respect a tremendous amount Joel Zilberman who is the CEO and founder of an organization called Hashomer HaChadash the new Shomer or the new guard uh we'll find out from from Yoel what the old Shomer was, what the old guard organization was. It goes way back in Zionist history. Um, so we're going to learn a lot from Yoel about not only his organization, but more importantly, even at this point, what's going on in Israel and what's going on in the agricultural world. So first of all, Yoel, thank you very, very much for taking the time on short notice to be th- with us in this conversation. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Um, so, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself quickly. Your background, uh, you know, where you studied, what you did in the army, and all of that, and then we'll get to the specific incident in your family um, that that led you to be involved in the kind of work that you're involved in.
1: Okay, so I'll say shortly that uh, today I'm a CEO of an organization that called the Shomer. We are running operation with uh, more than 100,000 volunteers, and that uh, helping to farmers all over, like all over Israel mostly with uh, you know, people that have a lack of manpower and that uh, stand under a very hard attacks of uh, what we call the agri- uh, agriculture terrorism when uh, people's fields are getting burned and people try to take over farmers' lands. It's something that is uh, happening in Israel in the last uh, 20 years, mostly in the north part of Israel, in the Galilee, or in the south part, in the Negev. So the organization started with that, but uh, we, we put our focus very much in the last uh, five, six years, mostly in education. So today we, we have also a, a very big youth movement with more than uh, 24,000 uh, participants and four boarding schools in different locations all over Israel. And an option to do a gap year inside our organization, uh, post-RME programs. And, uh, and many partnerships together with the government, mostly on the issues of creating the future people that will take care to the food security of Israel. And from the other side, um, putting the land as something that uh, is uh, center in our uh, identity. So this is what we are doing uh, mainly you know, in the organization. And I'll say that we have uh, a very strong and big uh, uh, operation with more than 3,000 people, that volunteering oftenly in the in four different units, one unit is together with the Israeli border police, uh, what it's called Magav. The second one is a, a jeep unit. We have a motorbike unit and a drone unit. People that come in like every two weeks, three weeks, uh, usually it will be for a night, uh, and they will help the farmers. They will send him to you know to stay with his family over the night because he cannot walk twenty four hours a day. They will do the night patrol and uh, uh, will take care to his fields. And again, with many partnerships together with the police, hand-to-hand with the police, uh, we help them to do many operations. We understand that uh, the, police, the police in Israel, and it's, I think it's uh, very connected uh, to the conversation that we're going to have, uh, the Israeli police is a very, very small organization that uh, their ability to take care to the challenges in Israel uh, especially when they have uh, accidents like we know in Jerusalem or Jude and Samaria, etc., it gives them a, a. This will be their focus, like and, and in you know they need to take care to people' life. It's clear why, but then the open fields in the Negev and the Galilee are in a very big risk. And unfortunately, I'll say that we know about at least a one hundred thousand acres of land all over the Negev and the Galilee that was abandoned by farmers, actually also the army, the IDF, also um, uh, lost the uh, lands, the uh, national authority uh, of uh, um, the, uh, what it's called, the Rashut Teva aganim it's the... the yeah, the,
0: the, uh, the, the National Park, the National Park. The National
1: uh, Park, gonna... yes, thank you. The national Parks also, they, so they are all in a very big, uh, uh, let's say, dramatic war, keeping their land, and I'm okay, so
0: of- I want to stop you for one second. I want to yeah. push you back. you are talking okay. about all the things that you're doing to address the problem, but I want to understand what the problem is. So let's start out with your own family, um, your own your own father's situation, what you found out, what the response was, and how does that particular incident reflect what's going on? When you talk about agricultural terrorism, what are we talking about? What's happening here? Who's being threatened with what? What's the situation here? So start with the, the specific incident, but then give us a description of the nature of the problem across Israel.
1: Perfect. So I'll, I'll tell, like, my personal story is that in 2006, I was, a, um, I was in my service in the army. I served in the Israeli Navy Seals, and during the second Lebanon War in 2006, and six close friends of mine got killed in the war, and it's something that uh, it was an earthquake in my life, uh, of course a few months after that, my father, that is growing cows and sheep, uh, I grew up as a shepherd when I was young, he found himself in front of a, a mafia family, um, 11 men that uh, told my father very clearly that they are going to take over my father's fields, and he should leave the Cali, field. Right? Again?
0: It was in the Galilee, right?
1: It was in the lower Galilee, yes. Uh, it's, uh, it was uh, in front of a Bedouin family a Muslim family from a village nearby. And I'll say that we have a lot of close friends from this village, but this specific family like, took the decision that they are going to take over my, my father's fields. We speak about uh, 1,500 acres of land. It's a big land. And they started to burn these fields. They started to cut his fences. They started to kill his cows. And in the end, uh, three men from the family attacked my father and uh, he was uh, mentality broken. My brother and I, we both was in the army, in the service, uh, coming home, you know, maybe every week, every two weeks. And uh, he was all alone. So we were sitting together with the police officer of the region. And I think that uh, here the story is starting because he told my father, listen, I'm, I'm dealing with murders, robbers, you know, these kind of things. I'm apologized, but my best advice for you will be to give them some piece of land or protection money to pay them monthly, you know, to this family. And hopefully they will leave you alone. When my father heard that, he came back home. It was Friday. We were sitting around, you know, the uh, the Friday night table, the Shabbat table. And he was literally telling the family, I'm going to sell the business. I can't take it anymore. And, uh, it's you know, it's better to have a shoe store in the mall than fight on my land every day. I'm a farmer, maybe two hours a day. and 10 hours, I'm just trying to keep my land. So right after that, I told my father, listen, over my dead body, I came back to the unit, I got some big Israeli flag for my officer, and then the next Friday, I came back home, I planted a long stick, uh, with his flag, I built a small tent, I brought my books from the Academy for Leadership, from the Mechina that I did before the army, and I moved to live there, I lived there, I lived there for two and a half years, and, and this is the way it started, and it became a place where many, many people, mostly farmers, or kids of farmers, came to me. And share the same story, and then we did a very big event with many farmers, farmers that came from all over Israel, and it was uh, it was, I was shocked to understand that it's not my father's story, it's a national story, and the national story is again that we don't have uh, any um, security, like basic security to to our farmers, and this is our national lands that we are losing. Second, we don't have the second generation that taking will take on their back agriculture, because the farmers tell their kids, do everything you can, but don't be farmers. And and you, and you from the researches that we did and we are doing, we see that more than 70% of the farmers, the reason why they they tell this to their kids is because the agriculture crime. They said you are all alone, like you are not going to be supported by anyone. And the third, the third part, we understood that agriculture was always, 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 since the establishment of Israel and before the establishment of Israel, one of our number one proud. We we saw agriculture uh, as something that brings us back to the land, back to our nation, connect in between us. People was coming to volunteer in the kibbutzim 30, 40 years ago. And I think that these three parts made us establishing this movement that's called the Shomer. Now I'll jump forward. I will say that in 2020, in the end of 2020, we saw a huge increasement in the, let's say, the attacks that the farmer had, okay, the way the other side behaved. it was something that we never saw before. The use of guns, the courage to get inside a, a IDF lens and to establish grass uh, uh, greenhouses. thousands. We have today 5,000 illegal greenhouses inside. The Israel
0: IDF lands in the Negev. Okay? And beside that, we saw that you that even, even the army, forget the police for a second, even the yeah. army can't stop it or they don't want to stop it, or what? there is
1: an argument in between the army and the police. The, the army says, Listen, I am I'm, I'm my responsibility is to take care to our borders. And if it's something that's happening inside our state, even though this land in it's are in my authority it's your responsibility to take care to crimes that happening inside my land. So this argument going through all over the year. And what we saw is that also all the terror attacks inside villages, you know, when some criminals kill other criminals, okay, their cars, their guns, all of their operations, it's in the open fields. In the end of 2020, we saw that there was a very, very sad and hard rape of three bedrooms that got inside the village a Jewish village nearby the border with Egypt and they raped 10 years old girl okay and when they came and did that we understood that things have changed like we are living in a new world their courage their you know the 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 way they see how much they control you know and not get not get punished okay and nobody will deal with them got you know to a new level so we came to the minister of the police that time, it was the beginning of 2021. And we told them, listen, if you are not going to increase the police right now, with at least 4,000 people, you will find yourself in a huge explosion that is just nearby the corner. And we told them, listen, if you cannot pay to a new uh, uh, policeman, you know, to a 4,000 new policemen, at least take the Israeli model of the reserve that after, you know, for every one soldier that is in a cell, you have another four people in the reserve that doing every year, 15 days, 18 days, 20 days of volunteering coming to the Israeli IDF as a reserve soldiers. And we told them, listen, if you will increase the police now with 4,000 people, it will be immediate. You know, it's not that it's like, I think that you need at least 8,000 or 10,000, but we said, listen, 4,000 sounds to us logical to do that. And he listened to us, and he told us this, and I think that I, I see what you say, and I understand that it's we are in a very bad situation, but, you know, the government worked very, very slowly. So what we did, together with one of the Israeli biggest newspapers, Israel Ayom, we did a very big conference, first time ever in Israel, in the 15th of March. And this conference was the fight, we called it the fight against crime in Israel, first time ever that there was some kind of conference in Israel with, like, 30 ministers Knesset members, whoever you want. Okay, police people, you know, from all, you know, all the aspects. And everybody was agreed. Listen, the the Israeli uh, uh, infrastructure of, uh, you know, all the building companies, the building companies in Israel today, they're speaking about paying between 600 to 700 million shekel protection money to criminals' companies inside Israel. Okay? Miserable.
0: Yeah. These are all these are all Arab um, organizations they're yeah, paying to, right? Yeah, it's
1: all, it's all Arab organizations. And beside that, okay, we spoke about the loss of control in the Negev. In the Israeli Negev today, you need to understand in May, when there was the, the, the battle against Gaza in May, but the 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 situation, the programs here in Israel, yeah, the, the, the craziness of the, the Arabs in Israel in, in May.
0: It but We have know. riots in Lod and in Yafo and in Ramla and other places.
1: Yeah, but, be- but people didn't spoke about so you know so many junctions and cities that was blocked in the Negev and that the Air Force didn't allow soldiers to drive to the bases if they are not driving with seven, eight cars together, okay? And sometimes there was also blocked inside the, the Air Force bases and there was flying with airplanes or helicopters from one base to another. Who could believe it? Like... A, Thirty minutes drive. You would have to fly towards a helicopter
0: because you couldn't drive on the roads. So, you couldn't drive on the roads because they had they had toppled a lot of the light poles. Also, right? They blocked the roads with they light poles. the roads.
1: The main roads of the Negev was blocked. Yes, actually, it was exactly from the same village where this guy, this terror uh, guy, just murdered the four people this week, and the 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 the, the same village was blocking the road between Beersheba to the city of Arad. In the Easter Denge. And
0: now what's in it for them? What do they want? To, what What are they trying to get out of knocking down the light poles on these brand new highways and making it impossible to get by? What What are they trying to accomplish?
1: So, so look, I I think that we we, we are in a it's a, the, the situation that we are in, and, and I want to give the other side, because, so we did this conference, and the the you know the events in May started, but you know what was was happening also in May, seven Arabic mayors came to us and ask us to do an emergency partnership together with them. They say, listen, we are seven mayors of Bedouin villages in the Galilee. Like all of us, we served in the Israeli IDF. And we we are the last mayors that will be people who served in the IDF, in the Bedouin villages, cities. And they said, listen, nobody dealing with the education that our kids are getting okay? Let's say the truth. They see Al Jazeera. Their teachers are coming from Sakhmin or Arabe that are very related to the Islamic movement, okay? And, uh, you know, the, 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 the values, the conversation in the classroom is not about the love of Israel as a Jewish democratic state. This is the situation. And they say, listen, let's build a new educational system. Let's create you know, places to these people that already served in the Israeli IDF. Let's take care of them so they will get, you know, job opportunities. And the last and the most important part, let's build some some system inside our villages that will give people, you know, a safety feeling. And what happened, and let's say the truth, we are the Israeli government, we are the, the Jews in Israel. We were afraid to take control and to organize, Okay. The the, the the life of our neighbors, of our Arabs and Bedouin villages. And for 20, 30 years, okay, we are afraid to stand there and to decide by ourselves how the standards going to look like, how the rule will be, you know, we will, how we will, we will take care that the rules will be I don't know how to say it in English, but that The law will be enforced. Yeah, the, the law will be enforced. Thank you. So and, and we are the ones that are not standing there. We are the ones that are not, you know, putting ourselves in the front of it. So what happened? Well, when- how
0: does it happen? I mean, how does a country, I'm sure what people are listening to now, are they're going to say, okay, this is unbelievable, but it doesn't make any sense. I mean, here's a country that fought off five standing armies in 1947 through 49. Uh, it, it's, it's managed to, you know, survive attacks from the outside time and time and time again. And here is this guy, Yoel Zilberman, who's telling us that there are, well, I mean, how many how many acres would you say across Israel are now not in our control? What's the What's the number?
1: At least one hundred thousand. At least
0: 100,000. I one hundred thousand acres of land in the Jewish state, which is not exactly an enormous state, to put it mildly. Which Israel has is simply kind of given up control over, and it's being run by either Bedouins or other Arab crime families or so forth. People are probably listening to this and scratching their heads and saying, "Well, how did this happen?" I mean, we, nobody in the world thinks of Israel as a kind of a passive a passive actor in the middle east if anything it's criticized for being quite the opposite so how is it that israel's criticized for being too aggressive on the outside and you're telling us a story that people are kind of eating it up from the inside while we're talking about this what what's what's the policy of the government is it only manpower is it a, a fear of something else what's going on here really
1: so so i tell you something something i think that it was very clear to everybody that keeping the borders from like like you said five different you know a, armies it's a life or death issue that if we won't take care of it okay we won't be here so we created one of the strongest armies in the world and you see how much companies in Israel okay established because of the abilities that was growing up here you know in, you know with the Israeli idea, the Israeli IDF.
0: Well, the whole the whole tech sector is what you're referring to. I mean, the whole Israel's whole technological revolution is, in large measure, fueled by people who were trained in a whole different way array of ways in the IDF. Right. So
1: exactly. You know, and you see, like biggest company like like Rafael and Elbit, like there was growing up because of the IDF. And I, I think that if you look what happened in Israel, okay, so in Israel in the 50s and the 60s. The one that was controlling the situation, because Israel was very new on these areas, was the Arabi. Okay? And then they stopped, you know, to control these area, areas by the army. And remember that the way they established the police in 1948, it was on the infrastructure of the British uh, police. Okay? That was not so good, also. And it wasn't the people that was much appreciated inside Israel. If you look how, you know, we established the Israeli police and all the, 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 Inside, you know, a, a security, uh, let's say, a, a infrastructure from from top to bottom. So, if you look forward, in 1974, there was the very bad attack of the you know the kids' school in in Malot, and Seheret Matkal was there, and they was failed in their mission. But the interesting thing was that the minister of defense said that it's the fault of the minister of the police that they are not ready for it. So they established the Israeli SWAT, they established the Imam first time, okay? But still, the police was always very weak. And then you see in the 90s, all the terror attacks in the 90s, the the police didn't control the situation. Then you see it again in the beginning of the 2000s, it was exactly the same. If you look from from 2014, the amount of officers, high officers, the highest officers in the Israeli police that left the police, Okay, you will see that the most of the the majority of the, the officers of the 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 high officers of the police left the police in 2014, 2015. You see that this organization, the infrastructure of this organization is very, very weak. Okay, is not ready, is not ready and is not capable to take the challenges that he have. So you started and said the story about the chief of staff of the police that people came to him and was complaining if if instead of hugging him and, and strengthening him in his mission people have a very clear feeling that they, was, they are, not was. They are right now abandoned by the police. They are not trusting the police in Israel. And we see it in more and more researches that we are doing. Okay, the farmers are actually, when people come in and steal from them, more than 30% of the farmers not complaining to the police, they are not calling to the police because they don't believe that the police will do more, nothing. More than that, they think that it will waste a, a whole day of work if they will go to the police, and sometimes they will arrest them instead of the, of the criminal, okay, because they was uh, holding a gun or whatever. The situation is that in Israel right now, okay, there is a loss of of trust in the police, and I think that there is a, a very um, in every state there is a very clear uh, uh, let's say uh, um, there's a contract between the state and their people that you pay to the government, you know, you pay tax, and you know you will be safe, okay? They need to take care of your safetyness. You are not buying your own tank, and you are not buying your own guns, because you know, not, you know, and you're not creating militias, because you know that the government will take care of you. And I think that what people feel more and more and more, okay, is that the government is not dealing in this issue at all. And it's something that is very, very, listen, what is going on in the Negev? Let's say the truth. Every Bedouin uh, uh, husband have three, four wives. Okay, you have some, something like 20 to 40 kids. Okay, three of these wives coming usually from villages from, from the mountain of Hebron, like cities like Yata, Samoa, Hebron itself. The kids are not getting Jewish, democratic, you know, kind of education. Okay, not democratic, and of course, not to love the Jews. So Imagine that this monster, like 10 years ago, there was 150 bedroom in the Negev. Today you have 300,000. Not so far away from now. They are going to be the majority in the Negev. It's very, very close. And more and more of our leaders, they were thinking that if you are not doing nothing, okay, things that will be okay by themselves because we have Tel Aviv, we have Jerusalem, we have a great high tech, we have great uh, abilities. Yeah, So many unicorns, so, so many companies are doing great but they don't understand that they live in a very small island in Tel Aviv, okay? And sometimes they need to get a passport, to, you know, to drive to the Negev or to the Galilee. It's, it's funny, it's ridiculous, but this is the situation. They really don't aware to what is going on there, so you also don't see resources that go into these areas. No solutions, no strategy, and most of the not the courage to confront the, the situation and start to build solutions.
0: Okay. So I want to come back to that exact issue. So now let's go back to the point with your father saying to you and your brother, okay, I'm done. I'm going to sell the land. I'm going to have a shoe store in a mall, but I can't do this anymore. Now, what you told us was you took a very big Israeli flag from the base and a very tall pole and a lot of books from the Leadership Academy. And you, and you slept in, and ate out there. But obviously it was more than that, right? I mean, it was more there than... Is lot,
1: there is a lot of uh, Shalem uh, books here behind me. I know there's
0: a lot of books from the Shalem College Press right behind you. I can see them. I, I and we're not... We're, 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 we're yeah. away from the Babylonian Talmud. I can see in your background there also. So uh, we're very honored to be so closely located next to the Babylonian Talmud. But in any event, it was more than just going out with an Israeli flag and and books. I mean, this is a this is a defense policy, right? I mean, I think... It's important for our, our leaders, our, our, our listeners, to understand when you went out on your father's land, and now extrapolate that out now to what Ashumir Khadash is doing across the country. What are you actually doing to fight back? So,
1: it's a. Uh, I'll give you the answer in two uh, a completely different perspectives, and I'll start with the longest one. First of all, we're looking one hundred years forward. And we, we know, when we look 100 years back, that there was the group of, group of people like the Shomer, the organization of a Shomer. Like no,
0: when was the Shomer, the original Shomer
1: founded? It's founded in 1909, in the okay. 12th of April, 1909. And uh, uh, not surprised, it was established in the 12th of April, 2007, exactly 98 years after. But we have people like Aaron David Gordon, we have people like Beryl Katsanelson, like Tabenkin, like Ben Gurion, that spoke all, all over the time how much the importance of um, creating deep roots in the land, okay, it's something that without that, we'll find ourselves easily abandoning our values, abandoning our lands, and living, you know, in the state of Israel. And we see it, we see it very easily now, okay? And I think that it's also... Um, a very important uh, uh, saying that they had they had, you know they said always listen even if people will live in Chicago in sydney in london still the only thing that will unite us will not be not facebook and not some virtual kind of uh, uh, connections it will be the land of israel People will be, you know, be able to have some experience, some opportunities of connecting to the land, and through that, we will all feel the ownership, the the, the responsibility to our state, to our land. And I think that, part, like the 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 first part of what we are trying to do is to build an infrastructure that our kids, you know, grandchildren, children, whatever, in the beginning of the 22nd century, when they will ask, "What is Zionism?" Okay, so we're creating right now the the operation that will be ready to, to get the, you know to be the pipeline to the land and I think that it's dramatically important also to create the next farmers of Israel and also to create Israeli uh, food security security etc. The second thing that we are trying to do is to work hands to hands together with the Israeli government and like exactly like you asked, you ask about how come that the, 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 it's so clear about the idea that it's doing so good in the, in the borders, let's say doing good in the borders, okay? How come that we are so far away when we speak about the Israeli police? And I think that what we're trying to do is to convince the Israeli government that this is the time, take our volunteers, make them as a reserve people of the police, of the border police. What we're trying to do is to convince the government of Israel that we are under a huge risk. And what we call Shomer Chomot, the events that we saw in May 2021, I'm telling you, it's 10% from what we can see on the next round. Because today, the amount of weapons that the Bedouin in the Negev had, have right now, we don't speak about Samaria, it's not Nablus, Shechem. it's not Hebron. We're speaking about the center of the Negev. Okay? They have more weapons, okay, of or, or two divisions of the IDF, right now in the middle of the Negev. And there is movies about it, and everybody knows about it. Okay, it's a struggle, weapons and drugs in more than four billion shekel a year between the Negev and Egypt. Everybody know about it. It's a number that we got from the IDF. Okay. Besides it, I'll tell you the truth. I think that it's a national risk. The amount of drugs that growing in the Negev in the last three four years, I'm sure that it's a national risk for our kids, for the youth in Israel, because it goes straight to Tel Aviv, straight to these areas. Okay. And uh, again, in, in my perspective, we, we're losing these kids because of it. It's become, becoming so, so easy to get, okay? Becoming so cultural, okay? So you see people that are less connected to almost everything. And you see during COVID, the amount of using drugs, the amount of depression, the amount of you know, feeling, feeling that you have like, you, a, loss, a loss of meaning is, is grew up so much. And I think that there is a, it's a deep connection in between all of these parts. When you are not, again, when you are not confront your problems, it will get to you from from the back of of your yard. And and I think that when we started, we said, listen, the farmers, you know, uh, God told to Moses, actually Moses told to the spies, sorry. Moses told to the spies, when you will get to Israel, if you will see people, you know, live with big, borders, and, and big, you know, walls, remember, this is a very weak people. They don't feel home. But when you will see people living tents all over, okay, they feeling that they are the house, you know, this is, this is their, their land, their, this is their state, and this is what happened to us. We put in fences, we put in borders, we put in walls, we are afraid to live in our state, and they are spread all over, taking the lands, building whatever they want, nobody, you know, every year. Three thousand illegal houses every year. in the negative, Negev, 3,000. Nobody is really confronting the situation. And I really hope that what we will see is a public you know support, no, part of what's happening to, to right now to the to the chief of staff of the police. it's the opposite of it, but it's described what can be happened. I think that today a serious leader from the government that will take on himself this project to change the face of the security inside Israel, he will get full support from the Israeli citizens, Arab and Jews. Also, the Arabs are in a huge threat inside their villages, inside their cities, because the police is afraid to get inside these areas. So the, the, the fights in between families there, it's not with, uh, you know, people don't speak there. They, they're shouting each other and it's happening all day long. Like it's it's become something natural, normally, that you go in the night like the gallery, you sit in a village and you hear... Noises of M16, you know, shutting, you know, all over the night. It's something natural. It's okay. It's something that the people, it's okay. And and people now saw that it will get to our homes and it's getting to our homes. It's becoming a real risk.
0: Well, people saw, for example, in May 2021, uh, exactly what it looks like when that phenomenon spreads from the Galilee or the Negev into cities like Yafo and Lod and so on and so forth. And President Rivlin, who I don't think is a person that usually, uh, when he was president, used hyperbole a tremendous amount. He said literally pogroms had come to Israel, that the Jewish people in their own land was actually now facing pogroms, which of course was exactly what had gotten us to leave Europe and come to here in the first place. You're obviously in close touch with the police. You're in close touch with Magav, the, the border patrol. You're in close touch with the army. You're in close touch with, with political figures all the time. Is your sense that the attitude of the government is shifting. That there is an increasing awareness on the part of the government that something needs to be done. Do you have a sense that this coalition under Bennett and Lapide is likely to do more, or do you think we're back where we were five years ago without much change?
1: Look, you know, when something like that is uh, happening in such such a strong energies, start, such a, like this, when you see these problems are so big. And you don't see a clear champion that take it on his back. So I'll tell you the truth. I, I worry that right now it's completely not on the focus of the government. And I think that because they want to keep their coalition, and I think that it's go against the, the, you know, it's go against their, their interest, let's say. It's again, not their national interest, their coalition,
0: the government. Is. Right.
1: And, and, and I think that uh, right now we are far away from the solution. And unfortunately, I think we didn't did 5%. Okay, since what we saw in May, we didn't did 5% to make uh, things look different. And unfortunately, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's so sad. Okay, because we see now in Purim, when uh, Mordechai told to Esther, if not you, somebody else, okay? What, is, what it's so sad is, is trying to tell her, listen, if not you, someone else will help, you know, will save the Jewish people. But the, the, the price is the price of blood. And I'm, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm very sad to say that I think that these four people, okay, it should never happen. It should never happen. And, I, I, I'm, and I'm sad that we are going to lose more blood because we are not doing enough. And we are afraid to do enough. And we don't, think, we don't understand that the, the, the fear that we have, it's go against us. It's like a counselor. Like we are we, 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 we attacking ourselves because we are not doing nothing. And, and I think that this is the main issue. And I'm not complaining against the Arab because this is the easy thing to do. I'm saying me. I'm the one that's afraid to, to confront the situation. I'm the one that's afraid, afraid to do our real actions, you know, to take the leadership and, 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 and change the situation. And again, what our organization is trying to do is to do its best and to get to as much places as we can, but it's a national issue. And it's not something that non-profit organization can resolve. We can be, like, you know, when, we, when you want to get a, a very big ship into the port, you must have a very small one that will take it in. So we see ourselves as a small one that's trying to take the big ship inside the port. But still, it's a, it's a, a dramatically challenging when people, you know, thinking too much, you know, from a politi- polit- political perspective and not from, a, a, I'll say the truth, from, from a, you know, from a... Not, not what I will get from it. Maybe he will lose. Maybe someone that will be the champion that will lead that. You know, he will lose from leading the situation. But it's uh, dramatically necessary for our national security and for our life here in Israel.
0: So it's, it's dramatic and necessary for our lives in Israel and for our national security. And I'll just end our really fascinating conversation by saying that it's actually, it's necessary for the fulfillment of what Zionism was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of Zionism was to take us out of a place where we lived in fear and to establish a place where we would not be under pressure to have to conform to the outside, where we would not have to be under pressure to keep looking over our shoulder to see who's gonna do what to us next. The whole idea was to be a nation like all other nations. And what you're describing, Yoel, is a world in which too much of the state of Israel is actually a place where a Jew can't be caught walking around at night anymore and we're not talking about the way out in the middle of the desert we're talking in in the middle of 'er Beersheva. there are young Jews men and women who are afraid to be out at night there are people in Jewish villages all around the Galilee and all around the Negev who actually literally hunker down at night because of the gunfire that you were talking about and every now and then a stray bullet goes through a house and if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time it can be disaster So we've actually allowed, as you're pointing out, kind of part of the horrific reality that was Europe that got people to dream of coming here. We've allowed that new reality to get planted here. And what you're doing through both your work in terms of actually getting young volunteers to to try to help farmers and others protect their fields, but also to do educational projects to give people a sense of the history of what we're doing here and what we're about, and the various programs people can see on your site, which we're of course linking to with this podcast. Uh, it's really an extraordinary Zionist project. I mean, you call yourself a Shomera Hadash, you know, the new Shomer, the Shomer that was originally founded in 1909. Um, it's it's more than just a kind of a refurbishment of an old of an old organization. It's actually to say that the old Shomer was the beginning of the Jewish people's ability to make a safe life in this area. Exactly. And by calling yourself a new Shomer, you're saying it's our new agenda once again of enabling the Jews to make a safe life for themselves in this country. Most people outside the country have no awareness whatsoever that this is going on. It's critically important for people to know, especially on a very sad week like the one we've just had in Dersheva. Sheva. So uh, I'm very grateful to you for um, taking the time to have this conversation with us. And uh, I look forward to continuing the conversation down the road as well. And in the meantime, since we're recording on a Friday, uh, I wish you a Shabbat Shalom.
1: Thank you so much. Happy to have this conversation and Shabbat Shalom. Sorot for everybody. And thank you so much.
0: You. You've been listening to Israel from the inside. Go to danielgordis.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.